Blog Talk Radio. Mysteries on the BookSpeak Network. I'm Sherry Knowlton. Uh, I write the Alexa Williams series of books, Dead of Autumn, Dead of Summer, and Dead of Spring. Currently, I'm working on Dead of Winter. And I'm Jenny West. Hi. I write the Carlisle Crime Cases. I have four out so far. Dying for Vengeance, Courting Doubt and Darkness, Darkness at First Light, and Had a Dying Fall, featuring homicide detectives Christopher Snow and Aaron McCoy. All are available on Kindle now, uh, with a series bundled together for eleven ninety six. Uh, my newest Carlisle crime case, Thing Strangled, I hope will be released later in 2018. Today on the Milford House Mysteries, our guest is Jennifer Capello, Managing Editor for Sunbury Press and its imprint, Milford House, which focuses on mystery and suspense novels. We've invited her today to explain the editorial side of the publishing business. Um, She serves as the liaison between the editing staff and the Sunbury Press uh, editor, Lawrence Knorr, Uh, Her job also involves uh, communicating regularly with the managers of the other departments that go into producing a book, uh, book design, cover design, marketing, social media, etc. And, of course, she participates in uh, managing Sunbury's overall operation and performance. As a writer and editor, Jennifer knows both sides of the business. She holds a BA in English from Penn State, and an MFA in Creative Writing, and a Certificate of Publishing from Chatham University. Her partial novel, Fixed, won runner-up for the best thesis in Chatham University's 2013 fiction category. She established an independent press while there, publishing a poetry chat book entitled Chalk and Fire with Melrose Publishing in 2012. Jennifer has served as the editor of two college literary journals, and has had poems published in Hacks Wildwood Journal and serves annually as a scholastic writing contest editor. Welcome to Milford House Mysteries blog, Jennifer. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, let's plunge right in. Um, first of all, Jennifer, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about how a typical day uh, works for you uh, as the managing editor for for Sunbury Press. Sure. Well, one of the nice things about working for Sunbury Press for all of us involved is that we get to work from home, which uh, is typically a blessing. Um, Some of us have kids or uh, other responsibilities at home that can kind of jump in there and take you out of work. But when we get to sit down and focus, it's really great to be able to have the flexibility to do that work, uh, you know, from your kitchen or your home office. Um, What I do as managing editor is I field questions from authors. I uh, speak to 
new authors who are looking to get a foot in the door or who are wondering about our submissions guidelines. Um, I also speak to our existing authors when they want to know their place in the editing queue or if they're having any questions about the editing process if their manuscript is currently being worked on. Um, sometimes authors who've just wrapped up with us, they might have questions about the publish or I'm sorry, the um, publicity angles, and I can refer them to the proper people in Sunbury. And also, um, I I send them feedback forms to get kind of their take on how everything has gone in the uh, the editing process and everything that they've um, experienced while publishing their book at Sunbury Press. So that's kind of one of the hats that I wear as managing editor. I also um, I deal with our editing staff, um, making sure that we're all working consistently across the board. We have several documents that serve as checklists or guides for how we do our editing from start to finish and uh, at what points to check in with the authors, just things that kind of make our process somewhat uniform. Although I do like to give everybody a little bit of leeway to kind of work with their strengths because I think that's important. Our people are one of our strongest resources here at Sunbury. So I like to make sure everybody can work in the way that best fits them, but also works into our, our process so that we can kind of get all of the authors through all of the steps, make sure that nothing gets missed along the way. That's another um, aspect of my job. And then in addition to that, I do communicate to Lawrence and some of the other folks who work with the different parts of the process from cover design to book layout to the marketing and publicity aspects of that. Um, and then, of course, I do manuscript editing as well, just like my editing staff. And I would say that's my favorite part of the job is getting to actually sit down and, and read through manuscripts and work with authors and trying to get their books through our process, but also make sure that you know, their vision is the, the ultimate outcome of the project and kind of working with them to, to see that to its end result. So that's pretty much in a nutshell most of the, uh, the larger tasks that I would do in any given day. So you wear many hats. We do, yes. At Sunbury, yeah. uh, at some other at some other presses, they might have one person who's doing, um, you know, the copy editing or the preliminary edits. Another person who would work on content and development. Another person who would work on um, the proofreading at the um, at the proofing stage at the end. Our editors wear a lot of hats. Um, our other folks also mm -hmm. wear several hats. Um, so yes, that's one that's one way that we. Do typically put it. We wear many hats around here because we are a small press. Um, I know that sometimes uh, authors or other folks might think that we're much bigger than we are because we have several imprints and we put out a massive book list each year. We do um, probably, I believe it's somewhere between 50 and 60 books in a year on average, or at least that's been our past um, output, and other presses of our size sometimes might only put out a dozen, and it kind of just depends on how they distribute the work. And uh, Lawrence, with a uh, background in business and economics, likes to make sure that we are running efficiently like a well-oiled machine. And in order to make that happen, lots of us have to kind of um, have our hands in a couple different projects at one time in a couple different spots so that that way everything can move along and, and we can get these books out. 
<laughs> well, so as a book editor, you also work directly with Sunbury Press authors. Can you describe how that process works for you, how you approach it? Sure. Um, our typical editing process is the author signs the contract with Lawrence, and then they mm-hmm. go into the queue, and that's where uh, some folks feel like they're in limbo because you wait till your title rises to the top of the list, and then you get assigned to an editor. And as the managing editor, I do I make those assignments. Um, so I, I hear I hear from authors. I hear you guys when when you want to know where your manuscripts <laughs> are in the queue. Um, <laughs> but once they once they reach the top, they would get assigned to an editor, um, whether that's me or whether that's somebody else who needs a manuscript, um, you know, I might make the determination, especially if there's a previous relationship there, if someone requests to work with an editor again or an author again, I try to honor those as much as possible. But typically, um, the editing process consists of once you get the initial email from your editor uh, requesting the manuscript, the editor will then do two major edits to the manuscript. One edit, it goes to the author for revision. Second edit, it goes to the author for revision. Once both parties are in agreement that it's ready to move forward, it would go to the proofing stage. And then our wonderful book designer, Crystal, uh, does all the layout work and puts the manuscript into PDF form so that the, um, the author and editor can review that. Um, this is kind of where I give the editors a little bit of leeway. Uh, I like to do a heavy edit first. I like to go in and dive right in and, and do all of the developmental comments and any suggested moving or kind of ripping and tearing. It's the scary edit is what I call it. And I also do um, – I'm, I'm doing line edits in that as well. I'm going, I'm going for everything. And then the author does the major revision. And then when they send it back to me, um, I typically only have to do a much lighter edit the second time. We're both usually on the same page by then. We both know what we're looking for and what we're angling for. And um, when I do the second edit, usually that second revision for the author goes much smoother, and then we can get it right off to proofing. Um, Some of my other editors, they prefer to do kind of just a review the first round, just making comments, not really marking up the manuscript. And then the second round is when they want to get to the nitty-gritty and do all of the grammar and punctuation because they don't want to do that the first time because so much might change. And it kind of just depends on the needs of the manuscript and the style of the editor, I think, uh, how exactly it would work for any given author. But um, I can tell you that Again, I'm playing to their strengths as editors to make sure that they can kind of come at it from the angle they feel that is necessary. But also, the end result is ultimately the same. We we still are putting out the best work at the end of the process, no matter how, uh, no matter what configuration the edits took on the way. So um, I think the process has been working pretty well. Um, our books have been getting better and better, and I think that's due to our authors as well. Um, but you know, we're we're growing and learning as an editing staff along the way. So I think we've, um, we've been able to hone this process now to uh, a system that works for us and hopefully works for our authors as well. Well, yeah, uh, as, as you've explained, um, you know, any manuscript goes through um, several revisions and reviews uh, 
from an author's perspective, um, you know, that can be a little daunting. Uh, but from your perspective, what are some of the biggest challenges that, that you end up dealing with as you're doing the your editing of authors' books? Um, I feel like you're trying to learn all my secrets, pick my brain here, <laughs> into a, a trap to sell you all this. <laughs> Full disclosure, Jen has edited all of my books so far, so yes, I'm I'm getting the inside track here. That's true, I have, and it's been a pleasure. Um, I mean, I mean sometimes you sometimes you have your your horror stories, and those I feel are the exception in my experience, not the rule. Um, you might have someone who um, approaches the the editing, the editor-author relationship as if, um, I don't know how to, I don't really know how to explain it, as if we are in their employ, um, when I always approach it more of a, this is a symbiotic relationship. I need your manuscript in order to have a job to do, and you need me to, to review it and edit it so that it can go out into the world in its best iteration. So I like to think that, um, you know, we approach the relationship with things from the other person. Um, but sometimes we've had some folks that uh, um, tell us the schedule or tell us this is how things are going to go. And whereas we definitely like to approach every project with, um, you know, the, the author's vision and, and meet their deadlines for their publicity and all of those things, we definitely want to work with everybody. Sometimes you have the, the folks who don't appreciate when they're told that, well, this is the way this works here, or, um, you know, we go about this typically this way, or we'll try to meet you halfway on something. And I feel that would be the same in any business when you have someone who kind of won't play ball. Um, but I do know also as, as a writer, when you're giving someone your manuscript, that can be your baby. So, you know, you're kind of protective of it. So, so we understand the, sometimes the, um, the defensiveness or the, the protectiveness or the hesitancy on the parts of some of our authors or, um, you know, their tone when they come into it, they feel like they have to protect this thing. And, and I hope that they know, at least after they've started working with us, that we're right there with you. We, we want to help your baby go out into the world and fly. We want to make this the best thing it can be. So we're on your team. Um, and that makes us teammates, you know, so that's, I feel like that's, kind of sometimes a challenge um, and especially since we do work remotely you're not seeing these people face to face every day um, you might mm-hmm. have phone calls but you know, an email doesn't always convey the best tone and for me whenever I think there might be um, issue or someone's starting to feel emotional about this um, I stop right there I, I say let's let's get on the phone let's talk let's call let's sort this out because it's important to us for the authors to know that we care about your book just as much as you care about your book. So that's one thing that kind of I feel maybe it's it ends up being a bit of a miscommunication along the way. Though, like I said, it's typically the exception, definitely not the rule. Most of our authors kind of are excited to jump right in and, and let us kind of lead the way because we've done this, and not all of them have. So they uh, they want to take their cues, and I think that, that works best. Um, when they're coming in and they're, they're asking questions and they're interested and that helps us be more enthusiastic and want to, you know, help as much as possible. So, um, I, like I said, it wouldn't necessarily call it a problem. Just sometimes 
I guess the nature of the relationship can be a bit challenging. Um, overall, I think communication is important in any business. Um, and in this one, it's, you know, we're, we're using words in the manuscripts and then putting them out into the world. We should be able to use our words and our relationships to communicate with each other. So I think um, communication is definitely the biggest hiccup, but it's also the easiest fix. So what I hear you saying, I think, is that it's a partnership. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, that's because Mike Carlock like crimes. Oh, yeah, I think that's uh, that's what you described. Um, because my Carlisle crime cases have had several different editors with different approaches, mm-hmm. you know, I've always wondered, you know, at the differences and at the different steps in the process itself. And while you have explained that to some extent, um, I would also like to ask a question about the editing cue. I know that Lawrence has said that he, you know, moves the nonfiction forward first. Uh, can you explain how some of that works? How he, how the publisher decides what, what goes forth, and what he holds. Sure, I can try. <laughs> uh, some oh, of that okay. Is, is Lawrence? Some of that is Lawrence's. Uh, something will occur to him, and then he needs to make a change or move something around in the pipeline. Usually, mm-hmm. uh, since I, uh, like I said, I typically just pull from the top whatever is listed. Out. Is, uh, is the next to be assigned. Um, but every once in a while there will be something, perhaps the manuscripts that are currently being worked on are taking slightly longer than anticipated, which occasionally can happen. And like um, I believe I've mentioned, we, we try to give everyone their due time when we're working on something. Um, we want to make sure that it gets all of the the. Um, attention that it needs in all of the parts of the process. Um, so if what's out on the cues of all of the editors at the moment is just not moving as quickly as we had anticipated, uh, something that has a deadline that we had agreed to try and meet might still be a couple of titles down, that might get bumped. Or if um, there's a current event going on in the world and we have a book that's about that topic, we might inch that up a little bit just to try and, you know, ride that wave of um, and mm. touch that publicity that might be attached. So there can be mm-hmm. several reasons as to why we need to do one thing or another. Uh, sometimes authors have events that they'd like to attend or things they've been invited to, and we try whenever possible to meet those deadlines as well, um, so sometimes that might shuffle the queue. Um, I will say, however, when you have a lot of authors who have a lot of speaking engagements or a lot of uh, events they'd like to make, it, not everyone can be edited at one time, so sometimes you look at that and you think, well, it has to stay as is because everyone needs something and we can't meet, you know, we can't meet everything. Um, but we do definitely try to meet the uh, deadlines that our authors come to us with, um, sometimes mm-hmm. they develop throughout the process, and that might change the cue a bit. But, yeah, to answer your question most directly, I can't tell you what Lawrence thinks in his head, but I can tell you the, the main reason <laughs> that we usually end up moving something around, okay. and, and that no, usually good. has to Thanks. do with yeah, the need. Yep. Sure. <laughs> well, um, you know, going back to the, the partnership um, aspect of uh, – you know, 
an author and an editor, uh, I have to tell you, and not just because it's you, but I always assume that the editor knows more about grammar, punctuation, the style of editing, uh, because I know there's a style manual that uh, books uh, that our books have to conform with. Um, and, you know, you're certainly a whiz at all of that stuff, so I, I don't have to worry about any of that when you um, edit my books. Um, one of the, I guess, more cha- more sort of delicate parts, I, as you may have referenced a little bit earlier, um, are working through suggestions that go beyond grammar punctuation. Um, I remember back in my my first book, Dead of Autumn, you and I had a, a protracted uh, discussion about whether the word burble <laughs> was correct or not that I had used. <laughs> Um, and you know, and that's sort of like a minor disagreement, really. So uh, we worked it out very amicably. But I'm sure that there are much more substantive issues that you encounter. So uh, you know, what if an author is just uh, totally committed to a particular scene or a character trait or a, a plot sequence, and and as you read the book, you think, oh my, this is just just not working for the book. Yes, we have had some issues like that in the past. Um, I will say that usually the first, I mean, obviously you speak to the the author and you try to work it out, but usually my first line of defense is I turn to my fellow editors. I'll send them um, a snippet. I will give them a quick summary, just basically give them a rundown of the content and the issue I'm having with the content just to see if it's, you know, perhaps my style, my personal you know, opinion that's, that's oh, yeah. influencing my decision, which you always have to take into consideration. Maybe it's maybe it's me, not them. And so I always try to double check with other folks. Um, if the editors mostly agree with me, then usually, and the author won't budge, then usually I'll take it to, to Lawrence. And he typically um, weighs these very carefully. I will say that more often than not, he... Um, he will have our backs when he feels that we are in the right. He will make sure that the the author knows that he stands with us. And so it may be a uh, a change it or we can't move forward. Um, but a lot of times, and I'm not sure, we've had discussions about this many, many times. We're not always sure if sometimes it's the whole idea that the boss said it that makes them change their mind or if it's just another opinion <laughs> that makes them change their mind or, um, you know, any number of things. But um, more often than not, the authors will agree to some sort of um, middle ground. But I can only think of perhaps two or three times in the many years I've been with Sunbury that an author blatantly just refused, said that, we were incorrect in in our opinions, and um, you know, ultimately, it's Lawrence's business's name that has to go on it. It's our names that go in in as the editor. If we're going to be attached to it, and we feel it's just blatantly wrong or incorrect or misinformation, we won't go forward. Uh, but we don't typically have that when it comes to other things, like you were talking about a word choice or a particular scene. A lot of times. I would say most of the time those can be easily handled by a few 
rounds of back and forth between author and editor, typically troubleshooting. I wouldn't even say uh, an argument exactly, just more of a, well, how about this? No, well, how about this? <laughs> Until we come to, you know, a conclusion that we both agree on um, or at least can live with. Um, I will say that there have only been a few times that we went to print with a book that we were slightly worried <laughs> with um, uh-huh. how things landed. But, you know, sometimes when you have a book that just has kind of edgy material, you take those risks and you can't play them all safe. Um, but it wasn't anything that we felt uncomfortable about. It wasn't anything that we caved to an author about. It was more of, um, you know, well, hold your breath, here we go. But um, <laughs> for the most part, when it comes to uh, the content of a book, the we do, of course, want to honor the vision of the author. It is their baby. It is their book. Um, ultimately, their name goes on the front cover, even if ours is on the spine or inside somewhere. So in order for them to feel like it's their product that they can put out, we do want to honor their style, whether it breaks our guide or not. We want to honor their uh, language, if it perhaps, um, you know, local jargon or a certain um, uh, dialect, workplace, yes, a style or some workplace jargon, if um, you know, medical field things we wouldn't necessarily um, understand or know about. We we do defer to expertise of our authors when it comes to things like that. Although I will say sometimes we have to ask questions that we feel might sound stupid to the author, um, <laughs> only to find out that they did indeed make a mistake. Um, so you can't always take it for granted. I had a an author many years ago who was writing um, a character who uh, was speaking Arabic. I know, Sherry, you're, you're, you have some Arabic in your newer uh, book. Right. Um, I, don't, I don't speak Arabic. We do happen to have an editor who does. Um, but the language that he used, I was able to pick up that there was something wrong because at one point he had someone saying something. At a later point he had someone saying the same thing and it was written differently. And I thought, well, maybe it's a hmm. verb tense or a, a proper thing. So I just flagged and said, I just want to make sure this means what you think it means. Here I am asking someone who speaks Arabic <laughs> if he knows what this means. <laughs> and then it turns out he had typed it incorrectly and he had to go back and fix it. And he was glad I caught it. But I was you know, nervous asking, um, are you sure about this? <laughs> from someone who doesn't speak the language. So sometimes we have to ask silly questions that obviously they should know the answer to. And I do it all the time with folks who write military or um, if they have to reference a lot of guns, I might ask what seems like a really silly question um, just to make sure, you know, is this how this gun should be written? Um, Is this how this would be referenced? by this military person or in that period in history. And I have to sometimes ask the silly, they, they answer, well, yes, of course, that's how it's written. Okay, <laughs> just making sure because sometimes people do um, make mistakes because they're so used to the material. And so right. I find that sometimes our fresh eyes pick up on those things and then we get the, the joy of asking the silly questions sometimes. Yeah, we as authors, you know, may look at, um, you know, you know, on the machine on our computers and not even notice it that we've typed something mm-hmm. twice. So it's a good thing that the right. editors do pick up on that. I have another editing question though. Sure. Um, do you find that um, individual authors require specific kinds of suggestions, or do 
are are the pro- not problems, but are things that writers need to work on more global. That all authors need to work on, like transitions or dialogue or what? What do you find? Um, I would say that it's just like pretty much everything else we see here. It's been very it's customized per manuscript mm. or per author. Mm-hmm. Um, we. Not all of us um, need to do it necessarily because not everyone works with repeat authors, but I know that I I do, so I create style sheets for my authors. Um, And it's just kind of a collection of notes about this person tends to make this mistake, so watch out for that, or this person tends to overuse this phrase, uh, you know, try to vary those those things, uh, certain sentence structures that they rely on a little too heavily, things like that. And so I'll keep kind of personal records um, via style sheets to help address those issues with individual authors that I know I've worked with more than once. Um, And Hmm. if anybody works with an author that I've worked with before, I'll share that style sheet with them so that they kind of know what to look for. But as far as um, generally speaking with, with all of the manuscripts that we get, I would say our major fixes are typically um, things adjustments that we're making to conform to our house style guide, which is guided by the Chicago Manual of Style. Not everyone mm-hmm. is well-versed right. in it. I know I wasn't well-versed in it until I was in grad school, um, So, and I was working in publishing uh, to get my certificate publishing. And um, so some of us were raised in school with MLA, yeah, that's what I had. Or yeah, right. Or maybe we were working in the sciences and we use APA, or maybe we were working mm-hmm. in communications and we use AP, or maybe we didn't work mm-hmm. that great in school and we don't remember any of those. <laughs> so, and <laughs> honestly, no, <laughs> honestly, no style guide makes a great author. The author, you know, kind of has to has to have their story and the drive to tell it and the style to tell it, and that's what makes a great author. Everything else is just our job security. It's us being nerds who like to read style guides and fix all of the writing. So mm, really mm-hmm. that that's probably I would say um the most consistent thing that we do across the board is um you know conforming to the style guides so that way our books across the publishing company can be relatively consistent and especially so that our authors' books across their series or across their body of work can be relatively consistent. Um as far as things like dialogue and, um, you know, story development and, and character development and things like that, it really depends on the genre. It depends on the, um, the background of the writer. But those are definitely all things that we have to address with nearly every manuscript, just mm-hmm. possibly in a different mm-hmm. way. Um, so I wouldn't say that there's one piece of global advice that I could give regarding that, that aspect. Um, and even it's not really on the author to, to know the Chicago Manual of Style front to back. It's, you know, it's something that we have to reference every day when we work, so we wouldn't expect you to know it and still have another job that you do outside of that. I mean, this thing is over a 1,000 pages. So, right. um, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take some work. So, um, so yeah, so that's, that's probably the most consistent edit that we do, though, is, is are the edits that um, are dictated by Chicago. Okay. Thanks. Wow. Um, 
I get this has been really interesting uh, to to find out, you know, sort of the other side of uh, what happens with uh, our our books. Um, you know, I I think authors spend you know, a year or sometimes much more, uh, you know, writing a book um, and are, uh, there's, I think, a natural tension between, you know, wanting it to be perfect but then relying mm-hmm. on the editor to make it even more perfect still. So uh, we do appreciate the work that you and uh, your other editors do. Um, we didn't really get a chance to talk about some of your personal projects, maybe another time. But um, we uh, do appreciate, Jennifer, you taking the time to tell us about your considerable role in the publishing process for Sunbury Press. Well, thank you guys for having me. I've been um, flattered and honored to have spoken with you today and give you a little bit of the inside of the other side of the table, I guess. Thanks. Well, I have one more question. It's personal. Oh, sure. Uh, it's it's about fixed. Um, I, yeah. I know you have you very very busy, and you had children, and you had a lot on your plate. But are are mm. you going to finish the novel at some point? Oh, I have enough story starts on my computer to fill a whole book already. <laughs> so I've got oh. many different projects going on. Um, as far as fixed. I do have, I, by the time I finished my master's, I still had more ideas to add to the story cycle. Um, I have uh-huh. not at this point fleshed them all out completely to the point where I can add them to the existing body that, that I used as my thesis. But um, the story is loosely based on my nephew who um, has a physical handicap. And at the time, it only went up to when my main character was about, oh, say, a toddler or so. Um, my nephew in real life uh, is nine now. So um, there's a lot more that I could kind of pull from the, the developments in his uh, prognosis and his, and his handicap to uh, kind of create more stories for my protagonist who's based on for my nephew. So there's a lot more I could do with it, and I honestly have not gotten there yet um, in order to finish okay. it. But thanks for, thanks for the, the, the boost, the reminder to, to put that back up on my to-do list. Sure. <laughs> well, then I think we're just about out of time for today. But once again, thanks, Jennifer Capello, for uh, spending uh, a little bit of time with us. Uh, and good luck on uh, all your continued endeavors. Thank you. And a reminder to all you readers, all uh, books are available at Sunbury Press's online bookstore, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other online retailers and bookstores too. And a special thanks to all of you out there listening to for House Mysteries. We hope you enjoyed our program. Our next program will be on Thursday, August the 16th, where we will interview... Uh, a Sunday Press author. And just as a quick reminder, I have a book signing. If, if you're in the area, in Carlisle area, I have a book signing at Hitchdown High tomorrow night from uh, 5 to 8. Okay. Um, also, in the meantime, yeah. oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. Uh, so that would be tomorrow, uh, which is August 2nd? 3rd. Third. Third. Okay. Third. August third. Okay. Mm-hmm. In case somebody listens to this uh, after the fact. 
Um, in the oh. meantime, uh, if you can, you can follow us on social media. Um, I'm on the web at www.sherrynolton.com, also on Facebook and Twitter. And I'm on facebook.com backslash Carlisle Crime Cases by J.M. West. And I have a brand new website, carlislecrimecases.com, all caps C, all run together. Until next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.